Welcome to New Life Church Sermons. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect more with us, go to newlifesl.church. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. It was so bad that God regretted making man who was made in his own image. God regretted it. That's pretty bad. And uh, the Lord said, I will destroy man. You know, the God who is love, The gracious God, the merciful God, the nurturing God. He said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. I've changed my mind about them. Well... That doesn't sound too good. Yet verse 8, but Noah found grace. Everybody say found grace. Where? In the eyes of the Lord. Today I want to talk to us from this subject, in time favor. In time favor. Let's lift our hands and our voice to the Lord and ask him to speak here today. Father, we love you, we glorify you, we honor you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. We thank you for your word, what you're doing in our midst. We ask, Lord, that you would minister in this house through your word. Anything that would seek to hinder your will from being accomplished, we take authority over it right now in Jesus' name. Let the Holy Ghost reign supreme in this house and the word of God be above it all, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time, clap your hands to the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It had reached the point of no return. Violence, perversion, lawlessness, and debauchery filled the earth. Every man did what was right in his own sight. No thought for God, just fulfill this present passion. No interest in change. Just complete, continual, evil imagination. Murders, riots, and deception were at an all-time high. It seemed as if all hope was lost. Things would never be the same. It looked like evil had won and goodness was gone. But then appeared the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he sends his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other. The description of the condition of the world I just gave was not of Noah's day. It was of ours. The times we are in and the times we are headed towards are not for the faint of heart. We'll just be, we'll, 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 we'll 
clear the air right now. They are not for the casual Christian or the predictable Pentecostal, the traditional ones. That's why Jesus said, He that endures to the end shall be saved. There's got to be endurance in each of us. There's got to be something in the people of God that says, No matter what may come, I am holding on. It's the person with a spiritual backbone that's not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It's the person that defies delusion and loves the truth that will endure. It's the person that kept their eyes on Jesus and not the condition of the world that will endure. It's not the carnal Christian, but the consecrated one that'll make it. Jesus makes a statement in Luke 18 that he says, Shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Jesus is saying God is going to get revenge on those who have persecuted and dealt harshly with my people. The wrath of man against God's people will not stand. It's going to take place, but it will not stand. God will avenge his people. That's a fact, and it's settled. It doesn't change the fact that God's people go through things, and they will go through things up until his coming. Yet what is one thing we can be guaranteed of is that no matter what's done to me on this earth, God is going to avenge me of everything I've been through for the sake of his name and the gospel. But Jesus isn't unsure about that. Jesus isn't uncertain about his vengeance on the enemies of God's people because that's settled. The thing God is wanting to know, the thing Jesus asks the question about is, does anybody believe that? Does anybody believe that my current circumstance is not an insinuation that God is not for me? Or that God is not on my side. Or that one day God is not going to repay evil for evil against those who persecuted me. The question Jesus is wanting to know is when he comes back, will there be any faith in the earth? Will there, any be, will there be anybody still holding on to the truth? I'm, I'm not talking about just Christianity as a whole. I'm talking about the truth. I'm talking about people that are so connected, consecrated, and committed to Jesus and nothing but the truth of who he is that regardless of what they go through, what's said about them, what's done to them, and what they experience, I'm enduring to the end. 
because I know there is a reward greater than my current situation. That's what Jesus is asking about. Does anybody believe that the best is yet to come? That this earth is not all there is, but that there is a new heaven and a new earth on the other side. That there is a city whose lamb is the light. Anybody believe that today still? You came to church. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe that there is a reward waiting for every person that endures? Well, if you believe that, is anybody excited about it? Excited to walk on streets of gold. Excited to see a river of life clear as crystal. There's insinuations and declarations all throughout Scripture that prior to Christ's return, the times are going to be crazy. Anybody that thinks differently, Lord help you. Yet the frightening thing is, is that Scripture also says the times are going to be completely normal. There's going to be more and more false Christs and false prophets. That's why Jesus said over and over again, do not be deceived. There will be signs and persecutions and incredible difficulties. That's why Jesus said, he that endures to the end. Yet the world is going to keep on spinning. And time will keep on ticking. And so, how are we going to keep our wits about us? through the intense culmination of this age. Things are going to be crazier than they've ever been. At times, the people of God will feel like they're losing their mind because Daniel records the Antichrist will seek to wear out the saints of the Most High by speaking great blasphemies. Wear out, how do you wear them out? In their mind. How? His words, the Spirit is already at work, seeking to wear out the people of God. Because if you're wore out in your mind, it doesn't matter. Your body only does what your mind tells it to. So if your mind tells you to quit, you quit. If your mind tells you, I don't need to dig deeper, you won't dig deeper in the things of God. I'm okay just as I am. We cannot be wore out in our mind. Things will only intensify in the deception working in the world. That's why Jesus said over and over again in his Olivet Discourse, which you can read about in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, he says over and over and over again, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Do not be deceived. This is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Do not be deceived. And he spells it out very clearly and plainly for us. But that doesn't negate the fact that things are going to be crazy. Things are crazy. And they're going to get crazier. So buckle up, buttercup, because it's going to be a rough ride until the day Jesus returns. However, there's still going to be normal. 24-hour period of each day will continue. People will work. 
Jesus gives us a clue of the times. Matthew 24, 37 through 41. But as the days of Noah were, so shall they be also at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Wouldn't that have been awful? Your wedding day is the same day the flood came. And they didn't know until the flood came and took them all away. Who didn't know? Not Noah. Noah knew. The people caught off guard were the unbelievers, not the believers. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be in the field, one taking the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, one taken in the other left. The times will be like they've been before, yet times will be like they've never been before. So, and we have to stay awake. That's what Jesus said. You've got to stay awake. Paul says you've got to stay awake. If you're children of the light, this day should not overtake you. The return of Jesus is not going to take the people of God by surprise. I know that goes against some teaching. Paul says that day is not going to overtake you if you're children of the light. 1 Thessalonians 5. And so, we have to keep our wits about us. That even though things are becoming like they've never been before in our lifetime, things will also continue to be like they've always been before. That's why it's deceptive. Because we think... Things will just get crazier and they will never be like they've always been. Yet there's an element to every single day leading up to that day that will be like every other day. Yet there will also be aspects of those days that will be unlike they have ever been before. And so my question is this today. What in the world are we to do? Once again, Jesus gives us a clue. Just like in the days of Noah. Well, yeah, I know. The world was awful. Yeah, it's going to be awful when Jesus returns. And life was just like it had always been. Yeah, it's going to be that way. But you see, we focus on the violence, the perversion, the lawlessness... We focus on the working, the marriage, living life as usual. But there's an element that we forget about. Because even though all of this was happening in the days of Noah and all of this will be happening in the days of Christ's return, there's something else about the days of Noah that we need to remember. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of the violence, in the midst of the perversion, in the midst of the lawlessness, unlike anything the world had ever seen, and in the midst of the mundane, as life just went on as usual, there was a man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was somebody in the middle of all the chaos who was not consumed by the chaos and was not caught off guard because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord.
What what does this mean? He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was special. No, Noah wasn't special. Nobody you read about in the Bible was special except for Jesus. I'm sorry if that sounds like blasphemy. The Apostle Paul was not special. There's an Apostle Paul sitting on the pew today. What does all this mean? The passage, we can kind of piece it together. Hebrews 4, verse 16. The writer of Hebrews, who I personally believe is the Apostle Paul, makes this statement. Let us therefore come boldly. Everybody say boldly. Unto the throne of grace that we may obtain or receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly. I've said it before. It simply means confident worship. It's not, Lord, It's confident worship. I know that my answer is at the throne. I understand that everything I need is found in Jesus. Am I worthy? No. But he said come. So that's where I'm going to go. It's not about what I deserve. It's about what he is willing to give me. I need help. And it's found at the throne. And people with that understanding and revelation worship with confidence. It's confident worship. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help. Who needs help today? It's at the throne. How do I get there? Worship confidently. Don't hesitate. Do not doubt. Because I guarantee you, at the throne of grace is everything anybody in this room will ever Need. You believe that today? It's at the throne of grace. It's worship. This verse, 4, verse 16 of Hebrews, it's all about worship. Worship your way to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does this have to do with Jesus' return? What does this have to do with the days of Noah? Here it is. Noah was a worshiper. That's it. After the flood, we read that Noah built an ark, an altar, after he built the ark. After the flood, we read that Noah built an altar. And there's no reason to believe in Scripture by what we read that that was the first time Noah ever built an altar. Because people don't find grace in the eyes of the Lord where there is no altar. So we can easily conclude altar building was a normal part of Noah's life. And and the reality of it is, is you can't worship without an altar. Don't call it worship if there is no altar. Well, I lifted my hands. Where was the altar? I sang a couple lines. Where was the altar? What are you talking about? Did something in you change? Did you lay something down before the Lord? Did something in you die out to the will of God? No. Then there was no altar. So Noah built altars. And so by default, Noah was a worshiper. 
How, how can we understand this, that the altar is directly connected to worship? And without, worship, without the altar, there is no worship. You read all throughout scripture, false gods, they had altars. Acts, Paul goes to Mars Hill. They have altars to every single god they could think of. And even though they, they thought maybe we missed one, so we're going to build an altar to the unknown god. Altars are directly connected to worshiping God. How do we know this? How does this apply to us today? We don't build stone and put animal sacrifice on it. So how does this apply to us today? Romans 12, 1, English Standard says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which is received at the throne, to present your bodies... As a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You are the sacrifice and you are to put yourself before the Lord daily and present your body as a living sacrifice. And how should your body be holy and acceptable to God? And that is worship to God. But until you and I become a living sacrifice, we are not worshiping God. You can come to church, but if you're not a living sacrifice, there's no worship. You can sing songs, but if there's no living sacrifice, there's no worship. You can give all the money you want to, but if there's no living sacrifice, there's no worship. What does that mean? How can I be a living sacrifice? Are you more holy today than you were last year? No, then you're not sacrificing. There's no living sacrifice. You just want to be... I heard it like this. Man, I, I heard uh, a powerful man of God. His father was a pioneer in the apostolic movement in the 20th century. And uh, he, said, he said this. He said, some people in the church want to go to heaven but they don't want to be like Jesus. So my question to you today is this. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to be like Jesus? Because if you want to be like Jesus, you're by default going to go to heaven. So how many want to be like Jesus today? Well, if we want to be like Jesus, it's going to cost us everything. It's going to cost us our opinions and it's going to cost us certain pleasures in this life. And it's going to cost us things where we're going to have to be different from the people around us. But that's because you're peculiar. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you today, present your body a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable, because that is worship to the Lord. Anybody believe that today? It's not popular. It's not popular, but it's proper. It's right in the sight of God. That if you're going to claim to love him, you're going to have to live like you love him. Which means you're not going to look like everybody else. You're not going to talk like everybody else. You're not going to go places where everybody goes. You may dress differently. You may behave differently. But that's because you've got your eye on a city whose builder and maker is God. And I'm going to live holy in this life. And I'm going to be acceptable unto God because that's my worship to him. 
<clears throat> well, I'm glad I got my amen corner right there today. Some people don't want to live holy because it hurts. But hey, hell's hotter than our temporary sacrifices here on earth. And I want to do whatever I got to do to make sure I'm like Jesus. Well, can I say it? Yeah. I came to a conclusion the other day that it's going to sting. I searched it out, thought about it. I was like, nope. I don't see anything to conflict with this in scripture. Jesus says if we want mercy, we have to show mercy. Jesus, which, which, you, you got to forgive. You got to let go of things. You just got to let it go. And you can't allow your present situation to uh, be filtered through past experiences. You got to let it go. And there's, there's things hurt. Is hurt. Doesn't matter where you got hurt. It's bottom line. Because uh, hurt is hurt. See, our, all of our emotions are the same. So hurt's hurt. And I, I came to this very painful realization. There's only one type of person in the world who doesn't forgive. I don't know why I'm on it, so I'm just going to wade out into the waters and see if the alligators kill me. There's only one type of person in the world that doesn't forgive. And it's not the hurt person. Because every person that forgives has been hurt. So it's not the hurt person that forgives. And it's not the hurt person that's been hurt more than everyone else that doesn't forgive. The only type of person in the world that doesn't forgive is the proud person. The person full of pride. I'm not going to forgive because I'm not going to be vulnerable again. We say, well, I disagree with that. Jesus on the cross. We see his humanity at work. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We see the one, the only one, who had the right to not forgive, but chose to forgive. Why? Because the Bible says he was humble, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. Jesus forgave because Jesus was humble. Humble. So today, if that word stirred something in you today, I encourage you to allow the Lord to search your heart. Say, Father, forgive me of pride. Help me to humble myself before you. To release things on the inside that I've kept in there for far too long. Because the mercy of God will work. Once we show mercy, humble people 
holy people. The people of God are holy and humble. That's it. Holy and humble. If you're holy, you're going to live like the way God wants you to live. And if you're humble, you won't lift up your soul in vanity. And you'll receive grace because he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The people of God, it's real simple. Live holy and live humbly. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And there is nothing that will overcome or stop you. We can't worship without an altar, though. I want us to remember that today. Every time we come into this house to worship, we need to leave feeling like, hey, that cost me something. That costs me something. Because I don't want to be, yeah, I, I freely received salvation, but it costs me everything. Because I've got to buy the truth and sell it. Not how do I buy it? I buy it with my life. I, I am the payment in, in the sense of I'm not going to receive the grace and mercy of God and continue to live the way I've always lived. And I'm never wanting to plateau. I, I always want to ascend higher and higher to where God's calling me. And, and it's costly. It's a price to pay. But it's worth it. Why? Because this kind of worship brings favor. Worship and the altar is a combination where the favor of God can be found. It doesn't matter what's going on in the age in which we're living Wickedness can be rampant. The world can be condemned. But in the middle of all of that, if there's a worshiper who builds an altar, the eyes of the Lord are going to be fixed on them. And the favor of God will be upon them. The headlines don't determine my worship. My bank account doesn't determine my worship. Politics do not determine my worship. And the lawlessness that's in the world is not interfering with my altar. I'm going to be sold out when it's good and when it's bad. I'm committed. It may hurt some days, but I'm not letting go. I know the rest of the world may be living in sin, but I choose to be a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God. If I got to get rid of some friends, they've got to go because their interest for me does not determine my destiny. There was only one who died for me. The person that's influencing you and messing with your holiness, you need to go to them and look at their hands and say, I don't see any nail scars there, so you cannot influence me greater than Jesus. There's some people that need to rise up in this place today and throw away some influences, cut off some influences, because I've got to be holy and I've got to be acceptable unto God because that's where grace is. That's where grace is. That's where favor is. And it's undeniable and it's unstoppable. When the people of God rise up and are holy and acceptable in his sight, there is a favor that comes upon them that come hell or high water. We're moving forward and there is nothing happening in the world that is going to interfere with the favor of God in our life. Violence, perversion, lawlessness and mundane can be happening all around us. But Noah was still worshiping. Noah was still building altars. 
And in the days of Christ's return, there will be violence, perversion, lawlessness, and life will be as usual. But will there be worshipers building altars? It was just one man. It wasn't a mega church in Noah's day. I know I talk about the building being full, and I believe it. And look at it. There's more people here today. Thank God. Good to see all of you. But the crowd does not affect my altar. There was only eight souls saved by water. Only eight people had the favor of God in Noah's day. Was it because of his anointing? No. It was because he just kept building an altar. Yeah, I know it's not popular, but I'm not dumbing it down. And I know not everybody feels like this is all necessary, but we're not dumbing it down. There's still got to be an altar. Something still has to die on the altar. Because if not, I'm not truly worshiping God. There were all sorts of gods being worshipped in Noah's day. And in the days of Christ's return, there will still be all sorts of gods being worshipped in that day. But what is the difference? We worship the one true God. We don't change some things to fit the culture. We don't adjust some things so that people feel more comfortable. This is how we worship. It involves an altar. It involves sacrifice. It involves something that makes me uncomfortable. But I'm more interested in the favor of God than the favor of man. Because there is judgment coming to this earth. And if you and I want to be spared, we've got to be true worshipers. We've got to be true worshipers. What does that mean? Well, God is looking for worshipers with an altar. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Father seeketh such to worship him. There's only one type of worship that gets God's attention. It is worship that involves an altar. I put something on that altar. It may just be one family. It may just be a small church in this city. But this church, if, if, if this is the only church in this city that is worshiping God, living for God, the way that is truly pleasing to God, and we may be the minority, we are still the only witness in this city. And this is the only place where the favor of God will be. That means God will raise up somebody in this church to build something that can save. Notice, God didn't, notice God didn't call the worshiper without an altar to build an ark. He, built, he called the worshiper with an altar to build an ark. And more people could have got on that boat. Because Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And you can't convince me that if somebody would have heard Noah's message and repented and believed that God would not have allowed them on that boat. No, he is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So my question today is this. Is this place an ark for this city? Yes, it is. Okay, okay. If this place is truly an ark for this city, I need you to answer the question for me. Is there an altar? Is there an altar in our worship? 
is there something in our worship that causes the fire of the Spirit of God to descend? Is there something in our worship that causes the river of life to begin to flow freely? Is this an ark for this city? If it is, then our worship has to have an altar. Because this then is the only place where the favor of God will be. His grace is only upon those who worship at an altar. Holy and acceptable. Not half-hearted and compromised. It is holy and acceptable. Holy and acceptable. Today, we got to make up our mind. I'm going to live for God with everything that I am. And when we do this, when we live this way, I shared this in the past. The um, dream I had about how the enemy was working in this area and the land was dry, desolate, and barren. Yet, there's a verse in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Seek his face. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Where are the eyes located? The face. If you find grace in his eyes, that means you found his face. So if people will just simply get back to seeking my face and turning from their wicked ways, what is that? Holiness. I don't need to look at all that. I don't need to watch all that. I don't need to say all that. I don't need to do all that. Then I will hear from heaven. But until all this happens, I will not hear. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The land in this Bay Area needs healed. Spiritually speaking, maybe even literally, but spiritually speaking, the land in this region needs healed. When will that happen? When God's people who are called by his name humble themselves and pray, seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. If the people of God will get back to seeking his face and worshiping and building altars, not just singing, but worshiping Monday through Sunday, living sacrifice, turning to God, seeking his face, I want more for my life. I want more for my family. I want more for this church. And there is no sin, habit, seducing spirit, or any tactic of the enemy, or anything that rises up in my flesh that I'm going to allow to live 
I'm not tolerating anything anymore that will destroy the favor of God upon us. I'm putting it on the altar and I'm going to worship God the way he wants to be worshipped. Not the way I want to worship, but the way he wants to be worshipped. And I'm going to seek his face and I'm going to turn from my wicked ways. And then the land will begin to be healed. There is nothing the enemy can do to stop it when the people of God solidify themselves, consecrate themselves, and begin to worship God the way he wants to be worshipped. All of a sudden, there will be undeniable favor that will sweep through this land. And there will be an ark in the middle of this Bay Area where anyone who believes, anyone who heeds the word of the Lord can come into and find safety and restoration. Anybody believe that? If that's going to happen, if that is going to happen, it's because we first got back to building altars and worshiping God the way he wants to be worshiped. And then all the problems are going to be removed. There will be no obstacles. The Lord will do the work. How do we know this in the New Testament? Acts 433. You can stand. Acts 433. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace, God's grace. God, everybody say God's grace. Was so Powerfully, say so powerfully, so powerfully at work in them all. It didn't just affect their little church, it affected the entire city. That is our future if we will simply worship God the way he wants to be worshipped. And so I want to invite you today to take a step of faith around this space that we call the altar. And I want to invite you to make a decision to lay some things down. To say, God, I'm going to start building an altar again in my life, in my home. We're going to stop some things and we're going to start some things. And we're going to worship you, God, the way you want to be worshipped. Because I know your favor will be upon us. Not everybody's going to do it. Because not everybody in Noah's day did it. But if there can just be one man, if there can just be one family... God can do something mighty to change this region. So who's going to build an altar today? Oh, I don't think I need to take that step of faith. Well, I understand intellect will say that's foolish, but I'll tell you what, it's going to help you. So who wants to take the step of faith today? I'm going to change some things. I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live acceptable in the sight of God. Don't you lift your hands begin to call upon the Lord it's not a pleasant decision it's not easy it's costly so count the cost but I promise you the favor of God will be poured out on your life unlike anything you've ever experienced and there's end time favor for this church if we will build the altar and worship God the way he wants to be worshipped why don't you lift your hands why don't we lift our hands as a family in this house why don't we lift our voice to the Lord as a family in this house? 
This could be the family right now that God pours his favor upon to build an ark for the saving of this region. I feel the favor of God here. That's it. Lay it on the altar. Lay it on the altar.